0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. That's awesome. All right. Well, um, last week we started a series called Why Church? And uh, some of you are absent this morning because I clearly didn't convince you. (laughs) So you stayed home, um, but uh, why church? And we looked at this this thought that you know culture would tell us that that church doesn't matter anymore. People aren't waking up Sundays thinking, "What's a great church I can go to?" And uh, you know, if, if you like, why church? Are you going to be at church tomorrow? Yeah, nah. I've gotten to the damn mate. Gonna just yeah, go. Biscuiting, and, uh, and so that tends to be what culture does or going to Bunnings, that's my church, or going to do home renos or whatever it is. And then comfort would tell us church is great in your pyjamas having brunch in front of online church. That's what comfort would tell you. And then the cringe we talked about, the cringe being that, oh, there's just some things about church that I'm not, I'm not sure. It doesn't feel like it should be. Um, maybe um, you would immediately assume that I'm talking about you know, the, the worship leader that says, God's just smoothing your brow. He's just smoothing your brow and crying. You're like, Jesus just loves you. And that's your cringe. But that's not actually what I'm talking about, um, though that is hard. Uh, but, but actually when, um, when things just aren't quite what you thought they would be, you thought church would be like this, something seems missing. That's what we were talking about with the cringe. And so then we read Hebrews last week and about how basically it says, don't neglect yourselves gathering together, that there's this together aspect and it's in order to help us persevere. It's in order to help us make it to when Jesus returns, that the gathering is actually super important. And, um, and then we looked at C-H-U-R-C-H. That C was for Christ, that Jesus is the most important thing in the church. He is the one that we exalt. H for homothumidon which was the gathering together and us going and rushing along in the same direction because we love Jesus and we're just going after Him with everything. It's a whole bunch of our opinions and all that just fall to the wayside. The new for Eucharist, which starts with E, but sounds like it starts with U. And so um, that we gather together, we're exalting Jesus, we're rushing along in the same direction. And then we actually take communion, have that little bit of bread, that little bit of juice to remember who Jesus is and remember that Remember ourselves to each other, that we're members of the same body that are, that actually would try to renew, would replace um, ourselves with Jesus. That it would be not so much us controlled by our own appetites, lusts, desires, but Jesus and His Holy Spirit being in charge. And then um, C was for cause, that we're going to go into all the world. And that H was for holding fast to the teachings. And it was really cool because it wasn't until I was actually preaching the message that I realised that they all just flowed, that they were just building blocks, one on top of the other. If you're following Jesus, then you're rushing along in the same direction and then you're remembering to be together because you want to remember Jesus and then it's not so much about you, it's about Him more and then you're caring about other people more and then you want to teach them to obey all things like Jesus said. So thank you Jesus for preaching last week. So why church? Um, that was we looked at it a little bit, but today I want to talk about why the church. Like why the church. Full stop. Why would Jesus say that that's my bride? Uh, that she. That's who I'm coming back for. That that's my agent in the world. I mean, look across the room, people. Would you choose that person to be your agent on earth? No, you wouldn't. Look at them. <laughs> They're so flawed. Right? Like some would. You choose. Cool for sure because he wears a tie to church. He's a real Christian, and uh, but but you, you we look across the room and and look at us flawed humanity and the way we fit together. And you were rude to me and ignored me last week, and and, and I, I I offered you a coffee and you didn't want one. And look at us, we're just such humans. Why would Jesus say, "Hey guys, it's in it's on in your hands, you and the Holy Spirit, go for it"? Why the church? Seriously, what was God thinking? And so we're going to look at that today. And uh, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture where Jesus is about to leave. He's literally just told his disciples again that he's going, that he's going to die. He's told him that he's sending his Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth. And then he's recognised where he's headed. He's going to the cross. That this is about to be the hardest time of his life on earth. And that he asks them to stay awake and pray. And they fall asleep. But it doesn't stop Jesus from praying. So I'm going to read his prayer because he actually prays for you and for me, which is incredible. So John chapter 17, it says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So he's speaking in third person here. He's talking about himself. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I've revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one headed for destruction as the Scriptures foretold. That was Judas Iscariot. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into this world, I'm sending them into this world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So I'm praying for Kathy Tanch because she's going to believe in me through their message. I'm praying for Hank because he's going to believe in me through their message. I'm praying for them right now. I pray that, then he lost his place, no he didn't, (laughs) can someone help me out? They will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me Father and I am in you and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be as one as we are one. I'm in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. A righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Jesus spent his last night before he went to the cross praying for you and me. So let's pray. Lord, thank you, Jesus. We see your heart for us right there. You looked down through time and you saw every single person in this room and every single person that would ever believe in you. And you said, I'm willing to go to that cross. There's some joy set before me, the joy of obeying my Father and the joy of the people that he will bring to know him. Thank you, Jesus. We can't even wrap our heads around that, but we thank you for the cross and thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Amen. God is a relational God. He's a completely relational God. He's not someone that you need to tiptoe in, just sense how they get a vibe of how they're feeling. He wants to be in relationship with us. You know that he loves us. He declares it all the time. Now, pagan gods, uh, you're not sure about them. You're never sure quite where they're up to. And, and I hear that um, reflected even in the conversation of people around me. They'll say things like, well, I, I've been really saying to the universe and putting out really positive vibes at the moment because, you know, I just want positivity back in my life. So they're like, they're relating to a God or a, a spiritual being on the, on the basis that whatever I put out, that's what I'm going to get back. And so it's this very much, I've got to try and please the universe in order for the universe to treat me well. But, but God has always been one to say, I just want relationship with you. Come as you are. Come however you are. Image bearers were typically statues of gods that live in temples. Went to India when I was 19. And, and some of their gods freaked me out a little bit because they have many, many like hundreds of gods. You go in a rickshaw and across the windscreen there's just like, like cards, like footy cards of all the different types of gods that they have. And in the hotel where we stayed there was this one particular god with a big fat belly and a whole bunch of trunks like elephants and, and a whole bunch of arms. And I was just looking at him one day like, you are freaking me out. How do I relate to a God like that? And um, my brother-in-law came along and, and you know, there were all these people and there were all these offerings around the, the statue, the idol. And he said, Brian, you just got to rub it on its belly and just went rubbed it. And I'm like, whoa, they're about to take us away from here and, and do something to us. But there are all these images of gods everywhere. And typically they live in temples. But God said when he created us, let us create them in our image. And he set us in creation. He called us the image bearers of God and said, my glory is going to fill the whole earth. So you guys can live in creation. Here you go. Now, obviously we know that that humanity got that wrong. You might not know that, but humanity decided not to trust God and to trust themselves and felt like God was holding out on them so they moved away from that but then God kept pursuing humanity through Abraham and said I'm going to make you a nation and through you all nations will be blessed at Sinai he said I want to make a covenant with you I want to make a contract arrangement that we can live together let's let's make this happen and then he, he made arrangements for him to come and live in a tent with the people uh, that he would actually fill that tent with his glory and wherever they would go he would go as well And then he made a more permanent structure with a temple. And he said, make sure that everyone's invited to come and worship me. No matter where they're from, no matter where they live, let everyone come and worship me at this temple. Then because of the disobedience of the people, that temple got got torn down. And then we get to Jesus. And Jesus comes and John says about him that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word came and made its home among us. The Word became flesh and made its home among us. And what that phrase means is that He came and tented with us. That's the literal phrase, that Jesus came and tented with us. It was always His desire to live with His people. Where they go, He goes. And so that's what He did. And then, of course, Jesus went. We just heard Him praying about it. And He sent His Holy Spirit to His people. And no longer was it everyone coming in to worship at the temple, but it was his people filled with his Holy Spirit going out to go and talk to people about him, them actually going out. He's a relational God. He's incredibly relational. So on that basis and with that thought, my son Locke came to me a few weeks ago and he was like proper, proper head up, proper troubled. And and he was like, mum, I just, you know, I just don't get it. I love God. I believe in God. I love God. That's not a problem, but I this you know the plan that everybody talks about. I just don't understand it. Like if He wants to be in relationship, why didn't He just stop with a couple of hundred people? Why all the billions? And and where do I fit in all those billions? Like what what's my role supposed to be? Why did why does He just keep going and keep creating more people? It's a good question, right? I don't know what you would have said, but I said, that's a good question, Locke. <laughs> and and you know, we really encourage our kids to have questions. We we don't we know that God's not threatened by a question, so we never want to be threatened by them either. And so the next day I said to him, Locke, you know how I'm like a bit introverted and and how I get, you know, Sunday nights, when we used to have Sunday night church, I'd get into the car and I'd be like, <sighs> and be like, you are not a good pastor. Um, <laughs> you can't get worn out by people and be a good pastor. That's terrible. And, uh, and I said, so, you know, my capacity isn't always that great. So, so I can only fit so many people in my life, but God's so much bigger than us and, and his capacity is beyond what we can possibly imagine. So maybe billions is nothing to him. And Locke said, well, that's an answer. And I said, thank you. I really thought about that one. But he said, like, it's an answer. I don't know if it's the answer, though. And, and I could accept that, but, but I don't know if it's the right answer. And so I understand that even as I'm approaching the church right now and looking at why the church in the first place, it's an answer. But for me to pretend that I understand God and his plans and why he does things the way that he does, as much as I want to search them out, I don't get God. He's massive. So I'm going to give you an answer. But it's not necessarily the only answer. And uh, I sent this passage to Locko the next day. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I've calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. And I sent it to Loco and I was like, Lock, you know, let's just not concern ourselves with matters too big for us. And he didn't write back to me, so you might want to pray for him. Um, okay, so so that's the disclaimer. But the first person to use the word church in the New Testament was actually Jesus himself, he was the one who who, who floated the idea. You see, in the Old Testament, there was, they called it the core hall in Hebrew, which was the congregation. Uh, The convocation, the assembling together of people, whether it was for war or for worship, there was a gathering and it had one common purpose. That was the word they used. But the word that we see in the Greek is the word ecclesia, which is the, the gathering together. And Jesus is the first person to use it. And this is the context that He uses it in, in Matthew 16. It says in verse 13, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So the debate's on. Who is this guy who heals? Who is this guy who speaks with such authority? Who, um, who the winds and the waves obey? Who is this guy? And so they say, well, some people are saying this, some people are saying that. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So you're the one who was promised. And then he goes a step further You're actually the son of the living God, which is equal with God. So maybe they all believed it, but Simon Peter was the one to actually open up his mouth and say it. Simon was like the the spokesperson for the group, for better or worse. Sometimes it was definitely worse, a few verses later, but sometimes it was for good. And he speaks out this massive claim, this blasphemous claim. And he's like, you know, us Jewish men... Jesus, we've been saying since we were little, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one because we know that you're made up of of different um, things. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whether they put that language around it. And he's like, you're the son. You're part of that Godhead, God. We know that you are actually God, Jesus. You are Yahweh. You're the one we've been learning about our whole lives. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Now, something that we don't get in English is that Pedro actually is the word rock. Daniel, what does Daniel mean? I don't know. Wow, wrong person to choose. Uh, Okay, well, Michael is up the back, and I know that his name means like God. Uh, anyone concur Um, but, but Michael means like God so it would be like saying and I say to you this day you are like God it was actually using the meaning of it it was a bit of a pun no like pun intended pun fully intended and and so he's saying Pedro Petrus you are rock and on this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it so the Catholics have taken that to mean that Peter was the rock that the church was built upon that he was the first pope that St. Peter is the one who gives the ability for people to enter into heaven or not, that he had the authority conferred on him as the church and then the concept of succession where he was able to pass that authority on to subsequent popes. And the Protestants say, that's ridiculous. That's not the case at all. Authority was given later to all the disciples, so that can't possibly be the case. But the truth is, there's an element of both in it. And we read about it in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. So he's saying that Jesus is the cornerstone over here. Christ alone, cornerstone. You know that one. Um, that's, that's where that comes from. Jesus is the cornerstone. And, and that was like the, the whole structure came out from the cornerstone. It took its shape from the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is the first stone set in the foundation. And then all other stones are set in reference to that cornerstone. And Paul says, and then the apostles and the prophets, they built upon that and they were part of that foundation. And now if he could look forward... 2000 and something years, it'd say, and all you together and all the Christians in Tamworth and all the Christians in the New England Northwest and all the Christians in Australia and all the Christians in the world that have ever lived have become part of this holy temple, a living temple built up from God because where God used to come and dwell in a, in a structure, in a building, and it was amazing, now He dwells in and through His people and not just you individually but you as the gathering, the gathering together. So 1 Peter, he says himself, Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 4, you were coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honour. So Peter says, Jesus Christ is the authority. I'm not the gatekeeper of God's church. But as Paul said, he's part of the foundation. Now some people, right, they can't get their head around Jesus being the foundation. They're like, if you love God, just go to God doesn't matter, like if, you know, Jesus, whatever. But Jesus makes the claim that you can't get to the Father except through him. Anyone struggle with that a little bit? Like they'd much prefer if everyone who just loves God could get to God just on their own. Like, be nice, wouldn't it? But not true, so not that nice. Jesus says, no, actually, you've got to come through me. And And, and we find that hard, but that's why he's also called the stumbling block. He's not only called the cornerstone, he's called the stumbling block. And it's like that, Some people won't actually be able to get over that into belief in God. And he's he's like, that's okay. That's okay. I'll sort it out. You don't need to worry about that. You just need to be the church. So what does that look like? Because I just said that you're all living stones. So why do we need to gather together? Like we looked at it a little bit last week, sure. But like can't we just all go and do our own thing? Why is the church together something that's important? or well, through the book of Acts. From there, the word church is just constantly used in reference to groups of people who come together to learn about Jesus Christ, to worship Him. And so Jesus uses it first, but then from then on, it's used for the church as a whole, the church in different towns, the church in different regions, and the gathering together of God's people. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Once upon a time, there was a temple and people from all around the world came to worship at this temple. And it was so important to God that this was available for everybody to come to, that in fact, when we see Jesus at his most angry, like He's, he makes a whip. <laughs> like, Sorry, like how cool is that? <laughs> Jesus is in the corner just making a whip ready to... <laughs> like it's premeditated. He didn't just lose his temper. He, He's sitting there angry. Because where everyone was supposed to be included, the court where anyone at all could come and pray, it had been turned into a place where they sold things and people had to pay to worship God. And Jesus is like, this is not on, just braiding a whip together. And then he comes out swinging and turns the tables over and I shouldn't be smiling so much, um, but it's awesome. And, And so it was everyone coming to this temple. But then Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's coming upon the people And they're going to go out. That you and I are actually going to be witnesses of him into all the parts of the world. And that part of that is how we relate to each other and how we talk about each other and how we love each other and how we think about each other. So as we think about it, God's such a relational God and wants to bring people into relationship with him. How? Through people who are in relationship with him, forming relationships With the people who need to be in relationship with him, it's like a ridiculous Russian doll situation, where they just keep going and going. It's us; we are the temple. So my question is: How are we going with that? How are like if we were just to look over this last little period of time, how have we gone talking about our brothers and sisters who are in Christ? If people were to look at the church, what would the witness be like? How united? are we? And because we can't control church macro, how are we controlling church micro? How are you feeling about and thinking about the people that you're in church with? Would it be a witness to people who don't go to church? It's a challenging question. And what I want to encourage you to do and what we did during 21 days of prayer and fasting in the foyer out here for people that came, is I just want us to repent on behalf of the church. You know, there's something in our world today and particularly when I was at school where people would look back at atrocities that were done to people in our nation and they'd say, why do I need to say sorry for that? I wasn't even alive back then. And we look at the Bible and Daniel takes a stand where he says, not this Daniel because he doesn't even know what his own name means, but Daniel in the Bible, after praying and fasting, he he says, you know what, I look back and I can see all the sins that my generations have committed before me and he was a good and godly man and he said I just want to repent on behalf of the generations and so that feeds into how we would say sorry for things that we were never a part of but it also would feed into the last couple of years right I don't know how you feel but I feel like the church has never been more divided around stuff where everyone's looked at each other and judged each other for the choices that they've made. Pastor Trish Priest preached in the eight thirty, but how you literally couldn't have pleased everybody, no matter how hard you tried over the last little period. So how how are we going? Do we need to repent? Do we need to take responsibility? Maybe you're here this morning. You don't even go to church. You are like, well, I'm definitely not. You certainly do not have to. You can just observe. But I hope there would be something in you that would see a bunch of people who are willing to take responsibility and move forward from here and go, oh, that's something I actually could get on board with. That's actually something that I see as attractive. So let's just, uh, let's just quieten our hearts for a moment. Is there an attitude that you've held against a brother or sister in Christ? Is there a judgment that you've made And then, if not for you, have you seen those judgments made? Just right at the end of this twenty-one days of prayer and fasting, how about we come before the Lord and repent on our behalf and on behalf of His church? So, Lord Jesus, I just ask, acknowledge first, Lord, where I've gotten it wrong, where I've been annoyed at people for the positions that they've taken. Lord, I'm sorry for my own attitude. Lord, I'm sorry for the attitude of people around me. I'm really sorry about it, Lord. I repent on their behalf and on my own behalf. And I ask for your forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you would unite your church again, Lord. Bring us to a place where we're moving forward in love and power, where we're standing firm, where we're good to go, where we're good to draw to, Lord where we're good to go and speak to other people because Lord, You've enabled us to do that in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Let me just finish with Jesus' words. So I just wanna say like, let's dumb it down, hey? Let's dumb it right back down to loving God and loving people. Let's walk out from here today just like, you know, Paul said, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is Jesus and Him crucified. The man who was healed from his blindness said, look, I don't know. Don't ask me theological questions. I just know that I was blind and now I can see. So let's dumb it right down. Let's just love God and love people. Let's just smack some mortar on ourselves and shimmy on up to the block next to us and set ourselves in the living temple of Jesus Christ and go, yep, we're nothing alike. How cool is this? We can do this. We've got this. Jesus can't build His church. He said at a place called Caesarea Philippi where there was an imperial cult, people worshipping Caesar, the town named for Caesar and he looked at the temple and he looked at the worship and he looked at the birthplace of the God called Pan and and, and he looked at all the syncretism, all the different worship of pagan gods going around him and he said, Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's the church that we belong to. He said the gates of Hades, which is the world of death will not prevail against it guess what people all those apostles and prophets dead guess what you're gonna die you're gonna die you're gonna die and the church is gonna keep on living that's the church he said the gates of Hades death will not prevail against it and he wants to bring people into relationship with him through relationship with you through relationship with them and the gates of hell won't prevail against it who's on board? anyone? awesome me too